Brilliant. Well, um, thank you so much for making it a priority on Saturday morning uh, to attend the preaching workshop. And we've just had a session from 8 to 10 with Steve and the elders that was outstanding. We really, really had a great time. And I think we're in for a very good time this morning. Uh, just to briefly introduce this session, and then I'll hand over to Jace, who will introduce Steve specifically. Uh, uh, about a year and a bit ago, Jace and I started talking about the possibility of his being with us at River of Life after his time at UCT. <coughs> and uh, one of the things that has emerged out of that working together is Steve's, uh, Jace saying how much he benefited from being at church on Main in Cape Town, and in particular from Steve's ministry to him personally and into the church. And uh, I, I was so inspired by that and thought it would be fantastic to have Steve with us. And uh, he'll probably give you some background on Church on Main specifically. But one of the things I love about this is that they're not necessarily a New Frontiers church, uh, but part of NCMI, New Covenant Ministries International. And it's so wonderful to have the body of Christ investing across one another, cross-pollinating. And I think that you'll find amazing encouragement from God in that alone. But my prayer is that you will also find encouragement, instruction in being able to share God's word, uh, being able to uh, prepare and deliver in a way that is true to scripture and brings real change in people's lives. So I think Steve is a huge blessing to us, and I think you're going to be blessed today. I'll just pray, and then maybe Jace can introduce Steve. Lord, thank you that there is a hunger in our hearts to see your word preached with boldness, with accuracy, with power, with transforming effect into lives and homes and communities and nations. And we pray this morning that you would plant seeds and bring real instruction in this that this would be a special time that would affect our lives personally and would affect hundreds, thousands, even hundreds of thousands of lives around us. We pray for your blessing on Steve as he speaks to us and ask for your kingdom to come this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Cool. Thanks, Scott. So special to have this many people come to the preaching workshop, um, and so many young guys as well. It's cool to see. Steve Marks came all the way from South Africa for this, um, <laughs> which is cool, but he's having his birthday party tonight, so he won't be at the men's evening, um, which is extremely disappointing. Um, uh, it's so special to see this many people here because, um, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the work of preaching is the highest and the greatest and the most glorious calling to which anyone can ever be called. And he's able to say that because preaching is the means by which God spreads the gospel and, and opens people's eyes and ears and hearts. And I just want to read a scripture quickly um, from Romans 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So it's a special thing, preaching the word of God, because it's the means through which God spreads the gospel 
in the globe and the means through which salvation comes to people's lives. And, and Steve has been an excellent example of someone who preaches the word with demonstration of the spirit and of power. Um, so it's, it's so special to have him with us this morning. And he's one of the best uh, speakers that I've come across. And uh, probably better than that, he would disagree, which is great to see in someone. Um, he knows that it's about the spirit's enabling and empowerment. And, and I think we're in for a great morning. So just before we start, we're going to have two sessions. Steve's going to speak for about 40 minutes, but depending on how the Holy Spirit leads, that may change. And then we're going to have tea at the back there and then come in after a 15-minute break for the second session. Um, yeah, so Steve, would you just come up and I'll pray for you before you get started. Yeah, Father, would you just come and be amongst us through your Holy Spirit this morning? Uh, we know that nothing that we hear or that Steve speaks will mean anything unless you're here to, to empower that and oversee that Holy Spirit. So we welcome you here. Um, would you give Steve utterance and words and would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us? Come Holy Spirit and be in this place. Be amongst us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, James, for your gracious introduction. And, uh, good morning to you all. Um, very, very heartfelt thank you to you, Scott, and to Jake and the other elders um, for having me up here on Zoom. It's a great privilege, um, and I don't take it lightly that a man who is responsible for the flock of God should entrust his flock and those who are influential within the flock into the hands of another man is a big thing, and uh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Scott, and may the Lord bless you and all of your ministry here. So I do attend a church in Cape Town called Church on Main, and I run the Bible College for that church, which is how I, I think originally met Jason, was through our Bible College. And I'm married, I've got three kids who are just kind of pre-teen age, and that's just about all I want to tell you about myself. I'd rather uh, get into the topic of the morning and let God's Word speak to us. <clears throat> Um, before we, we jump into the, the topic of anointed preaching, because that was the subject that I was, I was asked to speak on by Jason, I, I, what I want to do is I, I thought it would be helpful for us to, just to spend a little bit of time making sure that we all understand the concept of anointing, uh, where it comes from and what it is. Uh, in the life of the Old Testament people, the children of Israel, um, many times uh, things or persons, people were anointed with oil. And what that signified was that that person or that thing was being set aside in the will of God for a certain purpose of his own choosing. Um, so the power of, of, of the anointing on whatever that thing was, was not in the oil itself. The power was in the separating activity of the Holy Spirit to separate this thing or this person to God's own predetermined purpose. Um, what we do in the church is we simply recognize the gift of God on people's lives and then after a period of testing testing their character and theology and, 
and a, a process of relationship building, we then recognize the gifting of God by ordaining people into various offices within the church. Now, that's how it's always worked. Anointing is fundamentally a sovereign choice of God to separate something or someone for his own purposes. So in the Old Testament, we see uh, the tabernacle being anointed with oil. We see the furnishings of the tabernacle having oil put on them. And then we also see persons. We see prophets having uh, anointing oil placed on them as they went into the ministry. We see priests being anointed for service as they entered that Levitical order. We see kings being anointed for their role. Um, and, in, and in all of these cases, while it was men who, was an, who, who were anointing these things and people, you know, in like a, a ceremony, we would anoint the, the new king with oil. It was God himself who was actually setting that person apart for his own purposes. Um, then as we, as we move into the New Testament, uh, we see this same representation of oil uh, and anointing, this whole concept, we see it being, being brought into the New Covenant. Um, we even see anointing with oil. Uh, so in the book of James, we see James saying, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church who will come, anoint the person with oil, and the prayer of faith will make that sick person well. So we, we even see that. But most commonly in the New Testament, we see the concept of anointing referring to the Spirit of God coming upon someone and separating them and empowering them for a certain work within the church. Um, and this work to which the Holy Spirit was separating them, when someone was anointed in the New Testament, it was a work for which they had no chance of being able to succeed in it themselves. It was an empowering for something that you cannot do with your own native ability. They were anointed for the task. And uh, it may surprise you that the prototype in the New Testament for someone who was anointed is Jesus himself. In fact, the word Messiah, which is the Hebrew word, what's the Greek equivalent in the New Testament? You know, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, New Testament is written in Greek. So the Old Testament term of Messiah was Hebrew. What's the New Testament word that, that means the same as Messiah in Greek? Christ, that's right, Christos. It's the same word, Messiah and Christ. They both mean anointed one. So Jesus' title was Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one. Um, in the case of Jesus, he was actually set apart by his Father, anointed by the Holy Spirit, for all three of the major offices within the life of Israel. He was anointed as the high priest of God's people, the prophet who brought the final word of God, and the king who sits on David's throne on an everlasting kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom of which we've become members. So he was the ultimate anointed one. And in fact, all the anointed figures of the, of the Old Testament were simply a prefiguring, a, a, a type of the coming anointed one. And Jesus fulfilled that role. I said to you earlier that it's surprising that Jesus should be the, the prototype of the anointed one. Uh, because we would think that Jesus would be able to do all the things he did 
and flow in the kind of power that he had because of his divine nature. He was fully God when he was on the earth. But that's not the picture that the New Testament draws for us of Jesus. In fact, uh, the opposite is true, that Jesus did everything he did in his human nature. Now, if you know any theology, you'll know that's called the hypostatic union. Hypostasis in Greek is the word for person. So the hypostatic union is the, is the union of two persons, sorry, two natures in one person. Jesus was a single person and yet he had two natures. He's the only human being who ever had that. He had a divine nature. He was 100% God and a, and a human nature. He was 100% man. But the strange thing is that he did at least the majority of his mighty works and his powerful preaching, which literally astounded people when they heard this man preach. He went into synagogues and he preached, and they were astonished at his teaching. People's jaws dropped and their eyes opened, and there was silence in rooms because he spoke with such authority. Now, how could he do that? He did it. Not in his divine nature. He did it in his human nature, but because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, another member of the Trinity, in order to do the things he did. And so we see in Luke chapter 4, uh, familiar verses to us all, uh, Jesus entered the synagogue um, in Nazareth, in his own hometown, and he asks for the scroll of Isaiah to be handed to him, and he reads from what we know as Isaiah chapter 61, and what are the first words that he reads? Yes, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. What's the, now, he lists a whole lot of things that he's been anointed for. What's the first one he mentions? To preach the gospel to the poor. You just think about that for a second. This is the Son of God, the eternal divine one who created the heavens and the earth he comes he's born in a human body he takes on a human nature and then he says the spirit of god is upon me so that i may preach the gospel we we, we read the same testimony in the book of acts uh, peter is busy preaching in cornelius's house when the gospel finally broke into the gentile world and when Peter finally got over all his prejudice and he managed to cross over the threshold of Cornelius' front door and he got into the house, he started preaching the gospel and this is what he says. He says, you know the message that was preached in these days, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good and he healed all who were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. It's the consistent testimony of the, of the New Testament. Now why is this important? It's important because the good news is that just as because God was with him could be said of Jesus, that can be said of us who give our lives to preaching this gospel. God is with us. The same Spirit who anointed Jesus for the works that he did can anoint you to preach the gospel with the same astonishing, generation-gripping power he can. Okay, so what I want to do today is, is I want to look at some keys, biblical keys, 
from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read just two verses together, verses 19 and 20. And I would ask you to go there with me and whatever your chosen Bible is, whether it's hard copy or on your iPad or phone, you navigate there. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read verses 19 and 20 together. And out of those two verses, I want to pull at least seven biblical keys for the Spirit's power to attend our preaching. All right, so let's read these verses together. Paul is he's asking for various prayer requests from the church in Ephesus. Uh, bear in mind that, that Paul is in prison in Rome at the time he writes this letter. It's around AD 60, 61. He, within three or four years, he's going to have his head taken off by the Romans. He's well into his life of ministry. He is an experienced, seasoned campaigner by this time. And yet, see what he prays for. He's, he's praying these various prayer requests and he gets to verse 19 and he says, And pray for me that utterance I think the, the NIV, if you've got the NIV, they'll use the word words. That words would be given to me. That utterance would be given to me. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Incredibly rich little portion of scripture. And here Paul is requesting prayer from the church in Ephesus for his preaching ministry. And uh, I think in so doing, he, he, he shows us at least seven things which we all require to preach with demonstration of the Spirit and of power, which he, he, he said to the Corinthians that he did when he was there. So seven things necessary to be an anointed preacher. And I'm going to list the seven for you now. And then we're going to spend these two sessions going through these individually. So if you are a note taker, you don't necessarily have to be. Um, I'm going to digress now, but that's a, a preacher's liberty, isn't it, Jason? Um, I, I don't think it's necessary to take notes. I think it can be helpful if you've got the kind of personality that does go back and study particularly if you want to now have a group discussion, which I, I'm hopefully going to have time to put you into today. I think it is helpful to take notes. But I think of equal importance when we are sitting under the teaching and preaching of God's Word is what God does in the moment we hear. I think God is, is, is equally in the business as He is in building theology and structuring conversations and helping us understand and remember and think through things. I think He's equally in the business of speaking Live to people's hearts when they're in a meeting. And often those are the most powerful moments. I've prayed that as I spend this two sessions with you, that God will put His finger on some of you and that you'll hear His voice saying, I've separated you to be a prophet to the nations. That God would separate some of you to preach the everlasting gospel for the rest of your life. But who is sufficient for these things? Number one, you want to be an anointed preacher, you have to have the sovereign call of God on your life. 
the sovereign call of God. Number two, humility. Number three, fervent desire for God's word to be made known. Passion for the word. Fourth, to be an anointed preacher, I believe you must be the recipient of much prayer. Number five, boldness of speech. Boldness of speech. Number six, truthfulness of content. Number seven, clarity of communication. I'll just run through that list again, and then we will dive into them one by one. The sovereign call of God, humility, fervent desire for the word of God to be made known. Fourth, the recipient of much prayer. Fifth, boldness of speech. Sixth, truthfulness of content. And seventh, clarity of communication. All right, so let's begin with the first one. Before I do commence, however, I want to remind you of the words of the Apostle James. This is James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. I raise that because I'm going to speak to you today on a level that God uses to speak to the teachers of his word. We're going to speak on a level which calls for a far greater level of discipline and a far greater level of accountability than we would normally use when we address the, the public congregation in a church. So I'm, I'm going to address you today as those who feel called to preach. And that's, that's going to require some straight talking. And I'm going to ask you to realize that that is my role. That's what the Bible tells me to do. For we will be held to a stricter judgment, those of us who do decide that we have the call of God in our lives and we're going to give our lives to this thing. Because what we're wanting is to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. And who is sufficient for these things? Okay, number one, the anointed preacher is appointed by God. Paul says uh, to the Ephesians, I am an ambassador. I am an ambassador in chains as it, as it was, but I'm an ambassador of the gospel. Now, an ambassador is someone who is appointed by someone with greater authority than them, chosen for a task, separated to that task, and then sent into a field of ministry. 
The amazing thing about this whole story of the gospel and how God is unrolling his singular plan to save a people, to gather a bride for his son. That's what he's doing with history. And the amazing thing is that his plan, it's never changed. And as he's been unfolding it through time and space, is that he has used sinful, fallen men and women like you and me, jars of clay. He's used us for the unfolding of his story. It's, it's a staggering thing to think that God delights to use us. He especially delights in using his chosen people, the church, to carry out this great plan. And then within the church, he delights to choose certain individuals. And he anoints them. Now this is why I wanted to have that discussion with you around the meaning of the word anointing. An anointing is something that God sovereignly decides to do in some people's lives. Gifts are distributed by the Spirit according to His own will. God sets apart certain things and people. So it's, it's, it's not so much that I, I want to speak about anointed preaching today, which was the topic I was given. It's, it's more that I want to talk about anointed preachers. Because I, th I think the former can give us the conception, if it's, if it's preaching that is anointed, that we can kind of, that anybody can do it. And that we can live our lives the way we want to. We can show as little discipline or as great a discipline as we want. But then as we step into a pulpit, someone can lay their hands on us and somehow the Spirit of God will come upon us and the preaching will be anointed. We have this kind of bubblegum, immature view of anointing. It's not preaching that is anointed. It's preachers. It is certain men and women, I believe in a certain context, who are separated by God for the communication of His gospel. And he then empowers them for it. And, and here's the point that I'm, I'm trying to make. We don't decide who gets anointed. We don't decide who gets what roles within the church. We don't even decide what, what we do in the church. Have you settled that in your heart? You don't get to decide what gifts you get. The Spirit of God sovereignly disperses gifts, um, and I think it's fair. I think it's fair that He gets to decide who, who does what, because this is Jesus' church. He's building His church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And I think it's right that He gets to decide what gifts we each get. I think it takes some people 20 years to get over this, the, the humbling realization that perhaps they've not been called or appointed to preach. And therefore they don't have a gift to do it. And yet they keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And God's word is not preached with power. Because they are not called. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said to Timothy, I was appointed a preacher. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. I was appointed. In the book of Galatians, he makes it even more clear. Galatians 1 verse 1, he says, Paul, 
an apostle. And then typical Pauline fashion, he, he goes on a rabbit trail, which we have in brackets in our English Bible. He says, not by man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I didn't choose this, says Paul. I was appointed to be an apostle and a preacher of this gospel. No man appointed me. Now there's, there's a related topic we have to discuss on this thing of appointing, having been appointed as a preacher. And that is this issue of holiness of life. When you're an ambassador, you are representing another kingdom. And it's not just your words that represent that kingdom. It's your whole life that represents that kingdom. In, this, in the same letter in which Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort. In, a, in the same letter, in fact, it's just a few verses before that. Second um, Timothy chapter 3. Paul says to Timothy this, But you, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine. Yes, okay, my doctrine. You followed my doctrine. We were speaking about that this morning. There's this body of doctrine. And you, I've discipled you. You have followed my doctrine. But that's not, he doesn't stop the sentence there. Listen to how, what accompanies doctrine. He says, you've you've followed my doctrine, my manner of life. My purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance. If you want to be an anointed preacher, listen to me, you're going to have to live a holy life. This is not, this is holy ground. You take your shoes off when you're here. You don't waltz into a pulpit and expect the Holy Spirit to fill you with power. You say, well, come on, man, nobody waltzes into a pulpit. Let me tell you, there are plenty, plenty, plenty of people who walk into this pulpit committing sin in their lives, expecting, because I'm preaching and I'm, a, and I'm up here, I've got, the, I've got the, the authority of the pulpit, that they expect somehow power to come from their words. God is serious about holiness. Uh, You're not going to get that perfectly right. Of course not. But part of holiness of life means having a tender conscience and repenting quickly when you feel any kind of conviction of the Holy Spirit for something in your life. Or, perhaps more difficult, when someone in your community sees something in your life and rebukes you for it. How, How do you respond when you get rebuked? We, we don't like that. We are full of pride as human beings. And yet God uses people. Holiness of life. So if, if you sit here this morning and there is something in your life that you know is wrong. There's a, if there's a financial issue that you know has not been squared away. If there's a, a relationship thing. If there's unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart. If there's a pornography issue, young men, if there's a sexual purity thing in your lives, listen to me. You can forget spiritual power. Just forget it. God is not playing games with His Word. 
But the good news is Jesus died for sin. You can come, you can repent, you can be restored. Okay, so this is the, the, the first aspect of anointed preaching that I want to talk about is the preacher himself. Are you called? If you're going to give your life to preaching, you must be sure that you have, in the words of Paul, been appointed a preacher. And you know what? It's okay to ask him to appoint you. That's okay. If you desperately desire this, you can be like Isaiah. God in the courts of heaven, he says, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah is like jumping up and down, waving, saying, here I am. Send me. I will go. It's okay to do that. But you've got to be sure that he's, he said yes. And if he does say yes, I don't know how you're going to take this, but if he does say yes to you, you can expect a hard life. Don't expect glamour and glory. You can expect a hard life. He's going to hold you to a standard of holiness of life, of discipline, of patience, of faith through hardship, of loving people when they're unlovable, of doubting your, your, your ministry, of having your heart broken by people. That's what you're going to give yourself to. If you do feel called as a preacher, I, I just pray that you will feel the weight of the responsibility of it. But as Jason said, quoting Lloyd-Jones, it is, in my mind, the greatest calling God could ever call you to. The preaching, the heralding of His gospel by which He's gathering a bride for His Son. Okay, so that's number one. You have to be appointed to this task. This isn't a skill. Preaching is not a skill. It's not like golf or table tennis or learning French. It's, it's given only to some of God's own appointing. So the anointed preacher, number one, is, is a man appointed by Christ. He's called by Christ. He's empowered by Christ. He's a man of God's own choosing and he lives as such. Number two, the anointed preacher is a man of humility. The, hum, the humble preacher is a man who, who, who admits that he has no possibility in his own gifting to preach with power. This is a strange job. It's the one job you can't do. It's the one calling which you are powerless. It, it doesn't matter how charismatic your personality is, how strong a leader you are, how persuasive your public speaking skills are. As a preacher, you have to admit that you do not have the resources that you need to preach with power. The anointed preacher is a humble preacher. In many respects, he's a broken man. He's a man who's been taught by hard experience, through the disciplining hand of God, to know his own inabilities. 
I've read in many books of the older saints who have given their lives to ministry, I've read many of them say this, that if God is going to use a man, he's going to break him. He's a good father. I don't know if you're singing that song. Yeah, he's a good, good father. That's who you are. Well, a good father knows how to discipline his sons. He knows how to breed character and maturity in his sons. It said of Charles Spurgeon that when he ascended the steps to his pulpit every Sunday morning and evening, he would pray these words under his breath, Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, have mercy upon me. I wish I could get that in you. I wish I could take this passion that burns in my heart for the preaching of the gospel and for its power. For its ability to change people's lives, families, marriages, communities, entire nations. And the beauty of it and the pleasure of God upon the preaching of his word. And the wonder of being called into this. I wish I could communicate to you the feeling of standing in a pulpit and preaching the word of God when words, utterance is being given to you. And a train of thought is flowing through your mind and power is coming from your lips that is not your own. There is nothing on this side of eternity, not even sex, that can compare to that. And I say that 100% seriously. All the thrill that this world can offer you cannot compare to standing in the power of the Holy Spirit and preaching the gospel as the Holy Spirit moves. God, I pray you will have that. When you, when you get a vision for that, it's humbling. You realize who is sufficient for these things. And yet it's God's delight to do it. Because he wants the glory. He wants the glory. And here we read the Apostle Paul in these verses. He says, he says, pray for me. Pray for my preaching. I mean, this man, there has probably never been a man who preached with such power after Jesus than the Apostle Paul. You know, the Greeks called him Hermes. I think that's Acts chapter 13. Mercury, the, the messenger of the gods. So powerful was, was his speaking, his oratory. They called him Hermes. This is the man who had such astounding clarity of thought. Such a great teacher. This is the author of the book of Romans. Has anybody ever been able to make known the mystery of the gospel? As well as Paul. And yet here he is at the end of many years of ministry under his belt of experience. And still he says, pray for me. Pray that I may preach with power. Pray that I may speak with clarity. That I'd, I'd make the gospel known. And again, for, for some of us that takes many years to, to realize that we can't preach from our own resources. And we must not try. It doesn't mean you, work, you don't work hard. That doesn't mean you get to know your theology, and I'm going to get to that later today. 
But there is a foundation that must be laid in the life of every preacher that he knows. This is the work of God through the Spirit. And you'll only have spiritual power when you know your own inability. Preaching with anointing must begin with a sense of our own inability to do so. Paul asks the Ephesians to pray for utterance, for words. For trains of thought, not of his own, as he's standing there. For arguments from Scripture, for Old Testament verses. And not just as he preaches, as he prepares sermons. I believe it can happen both, in, in both places. In our study and in the pulpit. That the Holy Spirit can give you utterance. I think a helpful analogy is you want to step into the pulpit with, with, with arrows in your quiver that weren't there when you stepped in. Or when you were preparing the thoughts you had about a text of Scripture that the Holy Spirit puts arrows in your quiver and it's those arrows as you fire them out that land straight in the heart. It's those arrows that save sinners. It's those arrows that heal broken marriages as a husband and a wife who are about to get divorced, sit in a congregation, no one knows what's going on. It's those arrows that heal marriages. It's those arrows that turn wayward teenagers back to the Lord. These are the arrows we want to fight. And can can I tell you, my brothers, my sisters, you can't do that can't how do you know okay so so this is number two the anointed preacher is a humble preacher thirdly the anointed preacher is obsessed with the power of the word and he has he, he has a deep desire for the glory of god not his own The anointed preacher is a man who is jealous for the glory of God above all things. And he knows that it is in, the words of Paul, making the mystery of the gospel known to our generation that God is most glorified. He feels that deeply. Paul had um, many needs as he was writing to the Ephesians. And yet he doesn't pray for his needs. He doesn't pray for the cold. He doesn't pray for his hunger. He doesn't pray for release or for mercy from his captors. What does he pray for? He prays for power in his preaching. This man was obsessed with God's glory and the power of the word to bring God glory. It was the obsession of his life. He didn't care about himself but his own comfort. If you want to preach God's word with power, then making Christ known is going to have to be the complete obsession of your life. God will not grant his spirit to someone who is dabbling in preaching. Someone who is dabbling in ministry. Now, I'm not saying you have to be in full-time Christian ministry. That is not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. There are many anointed men of God who are being active and bearing fruit in the field to which God has called them. Some in business, some in education, some in politics. And when they preach, they preach with power. So that's not... But what I am saying is that when God looks into your heart, 
He has to see that you are completely obsessed with the power of the word. Are you completely convinced that this book is alive and and that when it is preached with the power of the Holy Spirit attending it, it is the most transformative thing in the universe? Are you convinced of that? Because many preachers get into a pulpit, will quote a scripture, and the rest of their sermon is personal anecdotes and stories about my holiday and, and analogies from other things. This, this book has power. It has power. It's not a normal book. These words are not normal. They are living and active. They are sharper than any two-edged sword. And they divide to the very innermost places where people are high, hidden and confused. It divides. It separates. It has power. I long to see a generation of preachers who, who disappear in the pulpit. And trust the power of God's word when they preach. I think you've got to be like Isaiah who he, he, he comes into the presence of God and he's totally undone in, in God's presence. Isaiah chapter 6, he's, he sees the figure of God high and lifted up the train of his robe, fills the temple and as a guy who thought he was pretty good, he suddenly realizes I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. He felt filthy in front of this holy God and he, he collapses. And then an angel comes and brings a coal and touches his lips. He says, it's okay. You've been cleansed. Your, your iniquity has been set aside in the grace of God. And that's when God says, whom shall I send? And, and now, because he has seen the Lord of glory, his entire life has been changed. He is totally consumed by the glory of this incredible God. Everything else that was attractive to him, a life of this, a life of that, this holiday, this car, this money, it just meant absolutely nothing to him anymore. And he was jumping out of his seat to go, I will go. I want to tell people about this great God. That has to burn in you. You've got to be like Jeremiah. At one point in Jeremiah's ministry, he got sick and tired of preaching to a people that never listened to him. Jeremiah had the most incredibly difficult ministry. No one listened to him. And at one point, he basically says to God, I want to start a guest house. I'm sick of this. I want to go out into the wilderness, start a little guest house for travelers, and I don't want to preach. But what does he say? But his word. Yes. It was like fire. Shut up in my bones. And I was weary of holding it in. How do you know if you're a preacher? If you've got the call. This is one of the ways you know. Paul said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Does it burn in you? The communication of this truth. You've got to be like a man who finds this treasure in a field. And and you're willing to go and sell everything else you have. To come and buy this field. It's incredibly precious. 
Paul was so gripped by this calling that when he asks for prayer from the Ephesians, he doesn't pray for his own personal needs. He, he prays that he would have utterance and, and unction in the spirit and a clarity of thought that he would be able to make the mystery of the gospel known with power. That's what he prayed for. Is that your greatest prayer request? So the anointed preacher is a man who has an all-consuming, fervent desire for God's word to go out for the mystery of the gospel to be made known. That's number three. Okay, let's get through number four, and then we're going to have a break. Um, I'm going to encourage you, maybe we can do some group discussions, or maybe we want to leave the group discussions to the end. I'll actually leave that in your hands, Jace, as to how you want to run it. But uh, we'll break off to number four. Let's just talk about this one. That the anointed preacher requires prayer. Now, I've worded that carefully because while I, I do believe that the anointed preacher is a man of prayer, that he abides in Christ as, as, a, as a, a branch abides in the vine and he draws power from his personal relationship with Jesus. He's faithful to be in God's word in every day. He's faithful to be in prayer, pouring out his heart out to God in prayer. He's a man of prayer himself. Okay, Scott, I don't want to enter the, the, the male-female thing. I don't want to offend any of the ladies in the room. Ladies, you preach the gospel as well as men do. Um, so when I say a man of prayer, sure. please don't be upset with me, okay? Um, I don't want to offend the sensitivity, so please forgive me if I've worded that wrongly. Um, as much as we are people of prayer, we are to be the recipients of prayer. Paul says, pray for me. Pray for me that I may be able to preach with boldness, with clarity, with utterance given to me from the Spirit. And I don't think this is an incidental comment. This is not like the PR campaign of Paul. He's not doing this just to make the Ephesians somehow think that they're involved in what he's doing. You know, that's not the purpose here. This is genuine and, and heartfelt. You know, if a church is ever going to experience power from its pulpit, God has ordained it that the people of that church will have to be praying for the preacher and his preaching. A missionary-minded church, a church that is faithful to the Great Commission, is a church that prays for its ministers. Praying for the preaching of a church is one of the fundamental tasks of the Great Commission. As much as preaching is part, praying for preaching is part of it. Uh, John Calvin, the great uh, 16th century reformer, he said this, There is no man alive so richly gifted in his preaching that he does not need the assistance of the prayers of the saints. As, as long as you give yourself to preaching in a fallen world, living in a fallen body... You are going to need the prayers of the saints for your preaching to come with power. If the greatest preacher since Christ, the Apostle Paul, felt 
the need for people to be praying for his preaching, how much more do you and I? I mean, if he felt his inability, his lack of ability to make the gospel known, his lack of power in the spirit, if he felt it, how much more us? So that's number four. The, the, the anointed preacher is a man who is being prayed for by others. Uh, you know, the church isn't a one-man show. God has set it up this way. That the preacher depends on his people. That's why he uses that analogy of a body. The ear can't say to the eye, I have no need of you. The eye can't say to the nose, I have no need of you. We need each other. God has set it up this way. And so... I heard a comment this morning which indicates that the, the answer to this question is yes. But I was going to ask you the question, is there regular focused prayer in this, church, in this church for your preaching and your preachers? Not just for your preachers and their families and their children, great things to pray for, but for their preaching. Is there a culture of prayer for preaching? In this church. Because those of us who have preached. What a privilege it is. To step up into a pulpit. And know that your people have been praying. For what you're about to do. What a privilege. I'm going to repeat this in my sermons tomorrow. To the, to the main congregation. Because I think this is part of the message. That the, the body needs to hear. And um, I will tell them, I remember hearing of, uh, it may have been Terry Virgo in one of his books I read this, who visited Yonggi Cho's church in, uh, I think it's in Seoul in South Korea. The largest church in the world, it's got over a million members. And um, they visited this church and they wanted to see the venue. So they went about an hour before the service began. And he said there were literally thousands and thousands of people in the stands of this like stadium, which is their church, with their head between their knees, calling on God that the preaching that morning would come with power. I struggle with our casual coffee. I mean, we are guilty of this. I don't know if you are or not, but in my circles, I struggle with the, we rock up five minutes late, we get a cappuccino, we waltz over, we sip on our cappuccino during worship. I struggle with it. It means we don't understand what is about to happen. Okay, let's, let's break there. And then we'll pick up with points five, six, and seven after the break. Okay, discussion at the end. How long do you want the break for now? 15 minutes? 15, 20? 10 minutes. We don't need coffee. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've put pay to that plan. <laughs> I think 10 minutes, just before I'll cross. Okay, great. Yeah.